Good morning. Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name. It's truly a, pr- a privilege to be able to be here, share. Three weeks ago, I was supposed to be standing here, and for some reason, that morning I ran a fever of about 100.3 and felt pretty rotten. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, the next day, I was pretty much back to normal. Two days later, I'd say 100%. So, thankful to God for healing. So, this morning, I've felt led to share what I was planning to share three weeks ago. I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians again, or wrapping up uh, that study of, of the book of Ephesians. And that's what I'll preach about. I'll finish it next time or, or not, but uh, I'm anxious to be completing it and looking at some other subjects. number of weeks ago, when I last preached from the book of Ephesians, the last part of chapter 5, Paul there gives some clear and practical instructions for husbands and wives and how how to relate to one another within the Lord or within the uh, structure that God has set in place. We need to remember that in our relationships that God has instituted a proper authority structure in human society. But sin, the entrance of of sin into the human race there in the Garden of Eden marred what God's intent was for mankind. So when people refuse to submit themselves to God's ways, we see these domestic relationships descend into strife and difficulty. When God's ways are followed, we can find peace and we can find harmony within our domestic relationships. You know, thinking about that, we look around us, at the world around us, where so many of God's principles are just simply thrown away. And there are so many things in the world around us in in domestic relationships, within, within the home, within the husband and wife relationship, within parents to children relationships where The world looks at it and considers it normal, but it's not. It's not what God intended for his people. Let's endeavor to keep our focus on what God has for us here so that we can experience the blessings that he has for us. Chapter 6, then, here we see that he moves on from the husband and wife relationship to that of children and parents. 
as well as servants and masters. Now keep in mind as we look at this that the original text did not have verse and chapter divisions. And so as I look at this, I see from chapter 5, verse 22, down through 6, verse 9, that Paul is addressing as a whole these domestic relationships. Pointing out that no matter what our place is in life, whether we're a husband, a wife, a child, servant, master, we all have a responsibility to place in submitting to the God-ordained order of authority. So I'd like to read at this point the first nine verses of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill doing service to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Any masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. I'm just going to say right right up front that here again, just reading these verses over, I see so many things jumping out at me that I'm not going to have time to talk about this morning. So I'm not going to be able to fill in all the, the thoughts and the, the points that could be brought up. But he moves on here first to the relationships of children and parents with the command that children are to obey their parents. I'd like to think a little bit there of the clause there that he has, in the Lord. To me, that indicates that if we are in the Lord, or if we want to be within God's will, and if we want to experience his blessing, children must obey their parents. I don't believe that that's an exception clause that some might take it to, to mean that children are to obey their parents if their parents are in the Lord. Don't think that at all is, is God's intent. God's intent is obedience to the parents. Because it's part of his social structure. It's what works. God created us. God knows how we work. And God knows how we need to act to experience blessing. And he says it through obedience to parents. 
also want to point out here in verse 1 that he says that obedience to parents is right. Again, in accordance with God's plan. And I think that that signifies more than than just being it's right as in it's the proper thing. But I believe that it's in accordance with God's ways of righteousness. If we do what's right according to God's will, we will live a righteous life. So, obedience to parents is what is right. It's the righteous way of life. Then in verse 2, he goes on to even a higher level than that of obedience. He says the children are to honor their father and their mother. You know, I believe that it's possible for us to give obedience without giving honor. But we are called, as children, we are called to honor, not just to obedience. And you know, I think that some cultures do better with this than we do in our culture. When I think about honoring our parents, I think about an experience I had with a man up in the, a man and his son up in the Fishersville area. The man was probably in his upper 60s or low 70s. He had immigrated to the United States from Egypt, I think it was in the mid to late 70s. I forget exactly when it was, but sometime in the 70s. He spoke English fairly well, but with a very heavy accent. It was a little hard to understand. And he is a developer. He developed some significant projects, tracts of land in the Fishersville area. His son had went on in life. He went to college, become a civil engineer, uh, worked other places for a while, and came back and partnered with his father. And so I sat in their office discussing a project, and I came away so impressed and humbled by the degree of respect that that young man who was probably in his upper 30s, maybe low 40s, showed to his father, who is about 30 years his senior. And I thought, you know, some of us have a lot to learn from some other cultures. They didn't agree on a lot of things. <laughs> it was easy to sense. It was easy in our conversations to, to, to pick up on, on the disagreements between father and son, but that young man always addressed his father with utmost respect. It was, yes, father. I see father. Yes, father. Never a hint of disrespect. Now, bring that story up because I don't know that those were Christian men. 
But yet I think it exemplifies what God wants from us as we relate to our parents. Not that we have to address them in, in those terms, you know, yes, father, yes, mother. But I believe God wants us to show that type of, of honor and respect to our parents. Also, I see here that there's maybe a difference between obedience and honoring and respecting our parents. You know, as we become of age, we still, for living at home, there are certain things that, you know, we, we need to obey our parents. We're, we're under their roof. We're under their authority. But, you know, Janet and I have been married for 25 years. And I don't go to my parents for permission to do things. We make our own decisions. So do I need to obey them? Not necessarily, at least not in the sense that I did 25 to 30 years ago. So I believe that as we as we mature and we become responsible for ourselves, maybe there's a, more of a shift to from obedience to honoring. This is a quote here from Exodus 20, verse 12, which is the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, where it says, The honor of the father and the mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So clear back when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he cared about obedience and respect, children to parents. Paul here reiterates that that commandment, and he reiterates that promise of long life. As Paul says here, that may go be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And I can't fully understand and explain that promise. We're not under the same dispensation that the Israelites were when that promise was was given. When they were given that promise, they were being promised a physical promised land where if you follow my way, God said, I'm going to bless you, you're going to do well in the land, and you're going to experience a long, a long life. We're under a spiritual dispensation instead of that physical dispensation. So I don't think that we should look at this promise as being that the life of our life is directly tied to our obedience and our respect to our parents. Or inversely, that someone who lives a short life has somehow broken this commandment to obey and respect their parents. But 
But I do believe that there is a principle here that is very true for us today. And that is that the fact that there are direct blessings in this life for following God's ways. You know, the Christian life isn't all about future promises in heaven. There's many promises and many blessings for following God's ways today. Those blessings may not always be immediately evident to us. We might overlook them. But one blessing of children obeying and respecting their parents is the fact that it will often result in children who set their feet on a path of life that leads to blessing. Those that are tend to be rebellious and disobedient to their parents often set themselves up for a difficult life. I'm not going to say that it's a shorter life necessarily. It could be. And I think they also set themselves up for potential difficulties in the future life. Because rebellion and disobedience to parents often leads a person down a path that is away from God and away from his promise of eternity in heaven. Now I've observed this in my life looking at friends and acquaintances. People that I grew up with or new growing up roughly my age group, I've seen where their choices have led. I look back and I think about where they were in, 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 a, in this thing of obedience and honor to their parents in their teenage years and where it led them. And it's sobering. Again, I feel that I can't stress enough the importance of following God's ways if we want to experience his blessings in this life as well as in eternity. We can't disobey God's principles and expect to live under his blessing, whether our life is long or whether our life is short. Moving on to verse 4, gives some instructions for fathers. Fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have a negative and a positive here. First of all, the injunction to not provoke our children to wrath. It's a warning against being harsh or unreasonable with them. I don't know. I think us men are tend to be a little bit more on the callous side than our wives and maybe not as kind-hearted and sympathetic towards our children. 
and maybe we have more of a tendency to be harsh, uh, where we could pr- provoke our children to wrath. The New International Version says, do not exasperate your children. Now, this is not a reason to not give punishment or correction for where our children are wrong. It's more an admonition of how we approach that. What our attitude is. One commentator said this, parents are called to correct, not punish their children. Now, I think we need to be careful with those terms. The idea that that commentator was putting forth was the thought that punishment comes from more of an attitude of revenge while correction is from an attitude of affectionate concern for the child. I don't want us to get confused on those on those terms to say that I'm against this commentator was against punishment for children for wrongdoing. But but think about that that difference in thought versus uh, revenge for something the child did wrong versus an attitude of affectionate concern for the well-being of the child. I think it highlights what the godly father's goal should be in training his children. His goal should be that of helping his children to overcome the sin nature, to become committed to following God and his principles in their own lives as they grow and as they mature and become responsible for themselves. I'm just going to share some thoughts on training children and as they get older and are entering that phase of becoming uh, responsible more so for their own decisions. Just some observations. We tend, I'm using we, it's a fairly broad term, we tend to give young people a free pass too often. We say, well, you know, they're young. They're only young ones. And sometimes I see where we do not hold someone who is, let's just say, 18 to the same standards we would hold somebody who is 28 or 38 or 68. But I ask, How does God view how we live our lives, what we allow in our lives, what worldly influences we allow within our lives? God says that if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Does he look and say that, well, this 18-year-old has a love for the world, but they're only 18, so I'm going to overlook it. I challenge us as parents and grandparents 
and leaders. I don't think God gives anybody a free pass because of their age. Yes, we do have different maturity levels. But we are responsible for our ch- to our children to help them mature as rapidly as possible into responsible adults. We have a plague in our society today of young people who refuse to grow up. And at 35 years old, they're still living in mom's basement and not holding a steady job. That's not God's intent for mankind. I think as God's people, he expects us to encourage our young people to be responsible for their own lives and spiritually responsible. I just I just want to put in a plug for uh, for us to to encourage our young people in that way to uh, to become early in life responsible young people who have a serious relationship with the Lord are following His ways wholeheartedly. I believe that's what God. I also believe, getting back to my notes here, I also believe that as we look at this this thing of of not exasperating our our children and and training them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, I believe it's very important for us as parents in this area that we exemplify in our own lives submission to the authorities that are over us. How can we expect our children to submit to our authority, fall in line with what God commands them in this passage, if we ourselves are disobeying or have a bad authority, a bad attitude towards the authorities that God's placed over us, whether it's in the church, whether it's civil authorities, whether it's in the workplace, you know, if if you're an employee and you go home every day and sit at the supper table and hash over your boss and how unreasonable he is and how terrible of a person he is, you are not you are setting your children up to struggle to submit to their faults when they have a job. And I believe that this is one way that we as fathers can provoke or exasperate our children. And that's by expecting obedience from them, but not exemplifying it within our own lives. So again, the instructions here for fathers have Two aspects, the negative, which we've looked at, and then the positive, what we need to do. What we need to do is to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Part of child raising is the negative. It is the correction. It is the discipline. When when there's things that need correcting. 
But in many ways, this training and nurturing is the greatest part of raising children. Punishment and correction come when our training and admonition are not heeded. So the, so the training and admonition in the Lord needs to come first. And maybe that's where we tend to fail as fathers, just thinking of my own life. It's easy to see where our, parents, our children do wrong and want to correct it. But am I doing my job in training and in admonition like I should? That training and admonition is to be in the Lord or according to God's word. I also want us to notice that this instruction is for fathers. It's the father's responsibility to lead out in training and instruction in the Lord. The church plays a role. The Christian school plays a role. The responsibility rests first and foremost on us as fathers. And I am three or four or five or six months late on this. You know, over the time of, of the social shutdowns where we're not meeting together as much, especially back months ago, where were we as fathers? Were we providing spiritual leadership in our homes during that time when we weren't meeting together face-to-face? That is our responsibility. And that's a challenge to me. I have room to grow. seeing that our family is, is spiritually fed and taking advantage of the opportunities that we have. Because, you know, all of the programs of the church and all of the good spiritually, scripturally based teaching of our Christian schools won't take the place of a lack of spiritual leadership in the home. We dare not, as fathers, become complacent in that issue. Moving on, then, in the next several verses, he looks at the relationship between servants and slaves. Uh, servants are slaves and masters. Calls them here servants. Most other translations translated as slaves. Thankfully, we don't have the issue of slavery in our society today. But they did in Paul's day. In fact, slavery was so commonplace in Paul's day in Roman society that she is writing to the Ephesians. They were part of the Roman Empire. It is estimated that approximately one-third of the Roman population was made up of slaves. Approximately 60 million people at that time in that geographic area were slaves. So the interesting part about that is that the early church was made up, most likely, we don't have proof of percentages, but most likely the early church was made up 
of a large percentage of people who fell in this category of being owned by someone else. But also within the church, there were those who were owners of slaves. So Paul addresses the relationship between them. And while we don't have that in our society today, these principles apply very well to the relationship between employees and employers. So I think just about all of us here, majority of us probably in some way fall into these categories. First thing that we see here in verse 5, the important rule of conduct for the slave or the employee is obedience. And notice, obedience seems to be a recurring theme no matter where we find ourselves in these authority structures. He says that they're to obey, have obedience with fear and trembling. In other words, they're to have a respect because of the position of authority that that slave found themselves in. There was an authority, a physical, uh, tangible authority structure that, that they were under. And they were to obey. He also says that they were to obey with singleness of heart. And that has the idea of, of sincerity or without pretense. Not to make a show, but with with uh, you know with they were to be genuine. And what I see there is someone who finds themselves in that position of and we're I'm just going to use the term employee because that's where we find ourselves today. That as an employee. You should be sincerely seeking the good of your employer. Yes, we work to provide for ourselves. We work to provide for our families. But without pretense, we're, we're supposed to be focused on serving those that we're responsible to. He says that your work is to be done as unto Christ. As a Christian employee, your work, your attitudes towards your employer, your, your boss, whoever's over you, your attitude in a lot uh, in a lot of ways reflects your attitude, your relationship towards God and towards Christ. He says that we should be doing our best. We should be working as unto the Lord. We should be doing it as if we're doing it for the Lord, doing our best all the time, not just when the boss is around. So often, that's the attitude that people have. You know, the boss is the way you can just goof off a little. He says, do it as if you're doing it for the Lord. And you know, the Lord sees us all the time. 
the Lord calls us each to different stations in life. And what I think he's saying here is we're to put forth our best effort no matter the circumstance we find ourselves in, whether whether it's a, a, a lowly slave or whether we're the boss or whether we're the master. In thinking about this, I had to think of the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery in a foreign land, away from his family, away from anybody that knew him, And wherever he went, he applied himself, he was diligent in his work, he experienced success. You know, Joseph didn't focus on his problems, he didn't focus on the injustices of the situation, but he did his best for those that he was called to serve. I believe that's a... a prime example of serving as to the Lord. There was nobody there to hold him accountable but God. In verse 8, he says that how we relate, how we, uh, the effort we put into serving as as a employee, servant, that we're going to be rewarded for what we've done in this life. You know, we tend to think of rewards spiritually as coming from because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been cleansed by the blood of Christ. But there's time and time again in Scripture where it is states clearly that we are going to be judged according to what we have done. We're going to be rewarded according to what we've done here on this earth. Not that we're rewarded because of our works, but our works, how we live, what we do, our attitudes, etc., are direct display of what is in our heart. Just a couple of verses, Luke 14, 13 and 14, Jesus said, But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense or repay thee, for thou shalt be recompensed or repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's an instance of there's a future reward for an act, for a deed done in this life. Second Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. There again, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to receive according to what we have done in this body, in this life. And so, when he talks here of knowing whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. I think that there is a future reward for how we commit ourselves to the station we find ourselves in in life. Moving on to verse 9. 
Paul concludes this by addressing masters. Again, in, this, in our society, let's just call them employers. It's interesting to note what he says here, that masters, which is in masters, do the same thing unto them. Do the same thing unto your slaves. In other words, uh, in, in other modern translations, says, treat your slaves in the same spirit. In other words, he is calling masters to the same accountability level that he's calling the slave or the employee. master is called to answer the same God as the slave is called to answer. Master, they both have a master in heaven that shows no respect to person. In God's eyes, we're all equal, from the poorest pauper to the richest businessman in the world. So we think of people that we call filthy rich. I had to think of you, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Uh, Jeff Bezos, et cetera, et cetera, these people that are worth billions and billions of dollars. They are as equal in God's sight as the drunk that's laying in the gutter in the middle of the city. There's no difference in God's eyes. Both will be called account to how they have used the opportunities that God has given them. Whether rich or poor, whether a slave or a master, whether employee or employer. And you know, that fact should be extremely sobering to us as well as encouraging. It should be sobering because our money and our worldly position, whether we have a lot of money or a little, whether we're a slave or a master, has no merit on Judgment Day. That should be really sobering because, you know, we we tend to, at least us men, we want to get involved in, in business or some something that's profitable, that we can build our empire, so to speak, or we want to have a farm and we want it to be successful so we can buy another farm and we can buy some nice equipment. You know, at the judgment day, none of that is going to matter. That's sobering. But it should also be encouraging. Because no matter where you find yourself in life today, no matter what your lot in life is, we can all hear those welcome words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know, I had to think, this is, I was studying this morning, I had to think of Job and said, you know, Job was, he was the Warren Buffett of his day. Job said, naked, I came from my mother's womb, and naked, I will depart. If you find yourself in the place of being a master today, remember that you're on the same foot.
footing before God as your lowest paid employee or anybody else. And remember that your responsibility to your employees, he said here, I hear the wind turn my pages. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them. We're to have the same attitude towards our employees in the Lord as what we would expect them to have towards us. So in conclusion to this section, I just want to bring out that I see the recurring theme of obedience to the authority structure that we find ourselves under. No matter where we find ourselves, as a child, as a wife, as a husband, as an employee or employer, slave or master, we're all called to obedience. God has ordained it for our good and for the good of the social structure of society. Submitting to God's design in these relationships, submitting to the Lordship of Christ in these areas, is going to bring us blessing in this life, as well as blessing throughout all eternity. God bless you. Go have a song.